0: We're going to finish up as we're talking about life in the kingdom of God. During this month, we're talking about the Prince of the kingdom of God. And what we celebrate in this season at Christmas time is the coming of this promised one, God in flesh, Jesus Christ, to save his people from sin and death. We know that the Bible is not a collection of stories or sayings. The Bible is a single story in four parts creation, fall, rescue, restoration. And what we celebrate at Christmas is the coming of the rescuer. We're, we celebrate this one who is the hero, uh, the mighty God. We are the damsel in distress. We were, we were captured by that, that ancient evil serpent and darkness. And our hero, Jesus Christ, he came and he defeated and crushed the head of our enemy and has now rescued us and made us the bride of Christ. And that is the story of the Bible. That's what we learn. That's what we understand. Now, right now, we're between the rescue and the restoration. And in this time, we need to lean into the Lord. And at Christmas, we have this wonderful reminder about who the prince of the kingdom of God is. Never forget Jesus was born of a poor virgin and placed in a manger. Jesus lived a holy life. Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sin. Jesus was raised on the third day. Jesus will one day return. That's the gospel. That's the gospel, that's the good news. Those are the facts. Every person who makes public profession of their saving faith in Jesus Christ affirms those facts and says, I believe this about Jesus Christ and that's why I'm trusting in him and why I'm gonna live the rest of my life in obedience to him. This gospel is the good news. It is the power of God. And next year, we're going to spend an entire year studying the gospel. If you can be here on January the 1st, I highly recommend it. I know we're not going to have classes and that sort of thing. And, and, and some of you are going to have little ones that are going to be, you know, a little bit of a handful, but that's all right. I, I'm, I am good enough to put them to sleep. Trust me. Trust me, I can put them to sleep, and so you can pay attention, all right? But uh, we're gonna start uh, January 1st. I I wrote most of that message this last week, Uh, and then we're gonna show you an example of a life that's been transformed by the gospel. Then we're gonna get in earnest into our series. Gospel, the gospel in four letters, and I cannot wait to dig into these four letters. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. Now, if you haven't already gotten your Galatians uh, Bible journal, be sure and go by the 1040 Cafe and get one of those. We haven't gotten the other ones in yet, which is fine. We're not gonna be diving into those uh, until after Easter anyway, but I do wanna encourage you to buy one, not only for you, but maybe a family member or friend who's not actively involved in in a church that teaches the Bible. And invite them to come and put it to use, to to hear the teaching and the preaching of God's word. And and, and as they do, they'll hear the gospel, this wonderful story. And and for those of us who believe, we're in between this time when the rescue took place and the restoration is yet to come. When Jesus came, though, he changed everything. I mean, there's an already and not yet. He's already come, but not fully yet yet has he brought his kingdom to bear on, on all of creation. Now, now during this time, we, we have a king who is present, who is providing, who is proving himself over and over and transforming lives. That's why on, on, a, on, a, on a day uh, early in Jesus's ministry, he was he was back at his home gathering and they invited him to, to speak, to, to read the scripture that, that, that day. And so it's kind of funny, you know, they, they'd heard about this, this hometown boy that's done so good and he's out there changing lives. And so they, he came home and they, they asked him to read and, and what he read and then what he said about themselves, well, about himself is astounding. This is Luke chapter four. Uh, the prophecy here he's reading is Isaiah 61. It says, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. Jesus has just read a proclamation about himself that was written 700 years before that day. So everyone's looking at him. It's a weird moment and all the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him and he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus came in poverty and revealed himself to be the mighty God. Jesus Christ is our conquering hero. He is the warrior prince who came to set us free. I appreciate James Edwards commentary on Luke. He writes, the incarnation is nothing more than an all out assault against the fully armed strongman, a carefully planned offensive to subdue hostile and inimical that is unfriendly powers and restore humanity to its intended image and purpose of the creator. Understand, every person on this planet right now is hurting. I know there's some folks that look like they've got it all and it seems like they don't have. Every person on this planet has problems, pain, hardship, confusion, hurt. And here's what's happening in the hearts of every single human being on this planet who's thinking. Is they're looking for a hero. They're looking for someone or something to save them. Now, what most people do is they buy the lie of what our advertisers are peddling these days. And it's the same thing they've always peddled. It's the same thing that the world has always offered. Four Ps. Power, pleasure, popularity, possessions. And some of you sitting here right now, you're hurting, you're afraid, and you're counting on power. Power. Your sense of, 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 of being able to take care of yourself, pleasure, you're going to be able to drink this away, you're going to be able to smoke this away, you're going to be able to, to take something that's going to, going to make you not feel all this pain, or you're going to get involved in something illicit that's going to somehow maybe excite and, and help you overcome just for a bit. Popularity, some of you think if you can just get enough applause that all your pain's going to weigh possessions some of you think if i can just get the right car the right vehicle then ne- the next gadget then my heart's going to be full friends those are horrible saviors none of them are good heroes they always fail there is one hero who never fails there is one hero who has overcome and he is the victor we need a shelter that protects a comfort that soothes a refuge that is secure and fortress that will not fall Psalms 91 describes our Lord. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. This is what Jesus alone can give. Jesus alone is the ultimate hero. He is the one who saves. He is the one who secures. He is mighty God. And everyone who chooses Jesus as their hero, as their savior, they gain living eternal hope that that will not spoil or fade, that is kept in heaven, awaiting for the return of Jesus Christ. We have a mighty God. That is the prince of the kingdom of God. And in a way to understand this mighty prince, we've been looking at this prophecy. Again, 700 years before Jesus was born, this is what was said of him. And we're taking it piece by piece. Today we're gonna look at how Jesus Christ is mighty God. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's go to the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 9. We're in verses 6 and 7. We're going to look at two words, God willing. Uh, Virginia's going to come read for us. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word again. We're in Isaiah chapter 9. This is verse 6 and 7. Our two words are found in verse 6, mighty God. Virginia, read that for us. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Virginia. If you would, go ahead and be seated and pray now for the preaching of God's word. Jesus Christ is mighty God. This word mighty, it's the Hebrew word gabor. Gabor. Uh, it, it means warrior, uh, strong, mighty hero, a, a chief military leader. Throughout the Old Testament, I did a study this week of the, of the Hebrew word Gabor. In almost every instance where the word is used, it, it has to do with someone or something that was a military event. It was a, a, a fantastic movement of power. And there, there were winners and losers uh, this morning, it's amazing to me, I, in my time alone with God, I'm in the book of Zephaniah, finishing up uh, the reading of God's word, 16th uh, year in a row of, of reading through the Old Testament once, New Testament and Psalms twice. I, I fell upon Zephaniah chapter three, verse 17. And this word Gabor, is there, the one who is mighty to save. Jesus is mighty God. He is the victorious warrior. Please understand. Jesus did not come into the world to make our lives better. Jesus came in the world to save. Jesus did not come into the world to to allow darkness to have a treaty with him so the darkness would have some space and he would have some space. That's not how the mighty warrior works. Christ came to overcome. Christ came to bring victory. He is mighty God. And during this time, between the rescue and the restoration, he said it's going to be hard. This is John 16:33. Um, this is Jesus Christ. He said, "I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. There you have it. right there, you will have tribulation." You are going to suffer. There's going to be trials. There are going to be challenges. There are going to be thorns. There are going to be consequences to sin. There is going to be pain. But take heart, Jesus said. I have overcome the world. In this world now, between the rescue and the restoration, We are going to have tribulation, but we can take heart because Jesus has overcome the world. He is mighty God and he will guide us and he will bless us. And and what I want to show you today are the uh, three blessings that I see in our text that, that the mighty God brings. You're there in Isaiah chapter nine. Let's go back to verse three. Verse 3, 4, and 5 give us ample explanation of the blessings that mighty God brings. And I would encourage you to write down and remember these three things. The first one is this. Jesus is the mighty God who gives joy to the kingdom. Joy to the kingdom. There are two sources to that joy. If you will, look with me in verse 3. It says, you have multiplied the nation. That's our first joy. that, that God is at work in the world. You and I are here today, many of us believers, because he has multiplied the nation, because people get saved, because lives are being transformed. The most unlikely of lives are saved and the kingdom of God grows. More than that, it says you have increased its joy. It Speaking specifically to the kingdom and and those of us who are citizens of the kingdom of God. Our joy is increased as they rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Friends, there is good reason that we sing joy to the world. Think about the words Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let all their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills and plains repeat the sounding joy. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. There is great joy that we have as citizens of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God rejoices because Jesus has multiplied the nation. He's growing the nation. He's keeping his promise to Abram. Remember in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, an oft-quoted verse here at Living Hope as we understand the entirety of the story of God, that that it begins in a lot of ways here. As God says to Abram, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. We believe that God is at work in the world and that he is multiplying his nations. That's why we give to the gift for Christ. That's why we have a team on the Black Sea right now. I got pictures of them this morning, teaching and training. That's why we we support missionaries. We have members of our congregation who are in faraway lands. This week, as I was preparing this message, I I got an email from our partners there in West Africa. And they were so excited because they uh, they hosted a pastor's conference this week. I want you to think about this for a moment. When Mark and Parker went there uh, just over 12 years ago, there was no known church there. Now they are there and they are serving and, and because of the gift for Christ, we're able to send teams and money. And guess what they did this week? They hosted 50 pastors who came for training that you supplied the money for. Now I want you to know of those 50, as 14 of those were making their way to the, the gathering site, uh, they were, um, the road they were on came under attack by jihadists. It's a dangerous world. And yet the kingdom of God is growing. You know what's amazing about the kingdom of God right now? You know where it's growing fastest? Iran. Second fastest? China. Third fastest? Africa. The most dangerous places on the planet right now because our God will not be stopped. The nation is multiplying. We get to be a part of it. That's why we tithe. That's why we give. That's why we go. And our joy is increased. It's increased by providing for our needs as we pray. As we pray. Some of you don't have joy because you don't pray. When provision is made, you're not able to acknowledge God because you didn't talk to him about it. You often assume upon the Lord, which is always a mistake. It always robs you of joy. Pray so that you can rejoice so that when God answers, you know that it is his hand that is moving. It says in Philippians chapter four, beginning in verse four, rejoice, rejoice in the Lord, not in your circumstances, not in your comforts, not in the things of this world. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. so, because that's true, look what it says in verse six. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and what will happen. And the peace of God, which which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus The great joy that we have as citizens of the kingdom of God is that even when God says no, it is well with our soul. Because every parent knows that many times the most blessed thing we can tell a child is no. And when God says yes, and his provision is clear, we rejoice all the more because we see the hand of God supplying the very thing we ask for. And so during the season, we give gladly, we celebrate, we share, and we... Pray, we pray to the mighty God who gives joy, joy to the kingdom. Secondly, Jesus is the mighty God who gives freedom, freedom to the oppressed. Every single one of us were born captured prisoners of war. There was war in heaven and the evil one was cast out and he has been lying to us and tempting us and because of the fall, Because of our deception, we've all been born in sin and we're held captive by this oppressor. And yet, look what verse 4 says in Isaiah chapter 9. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. So understand, without Christ, we are under the yoke of burden of our oppressor. And we have to live up to our own and everyone else's expectations. We have to make our own way in life. We have to sustain our own hope in sickness and in death and in pain. And we have to to make up for our own sin and shame, which is a burden we are not capable of bearing. We weren't made to bear that burden. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 11, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's not that you don't have a yoke, it's not that you don't have a burden, but you are carrying the one you were made for. You are bearing what you were were made for, what, what you were created for. As an image bearer of God, you were made to walk with God and to carry his glory and to honor him. And, and as you do, the, the, the burden, that that, that, wonder, that awful oppression, it, it is lifted and, 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 and we are free from the staff of the beating. That, that term there, the, the staff, the rod of the staff, the staff on his shoulder of the oppressor. Like, it's so sad to me how many, how many people, I mean, some of you sitting here right now, how you beat yourself up. How hard you are on yourself how every day is just another beating. You would rather, some of you would rather take a physical beating than the emotional beating you give yourself every day. The emotional beating that you're living under from years of words that have sunk down deep. Friends, can I tell you there is a freedom from that beating? There is. It's in knowing that you are dearly loved. Shame is not okay. Guilt is good. Guilt reminds us that we have value. And whenever we don't live up to that value of of being an image bearer of God, when we're not doing what we were made for and we know it, that guilt calls us to the Savior. You know what shame does? Shame says there is no hope for you. You have no value. You are meaningless. And and we must not allow shame. I was so saddened this week as as someone shared with me a pastor, apparently well-known because this was televised, began to walk through his congregation and stand members up and berate them in front of the entire crowd and began to call out their sin. And you know what he was doing? He was shaming them. That is not the work of God. That is the work of the devil. Guilt is good because it leads us, it calls us to what we were made for. Shame. Shame is a burden we were not meant to be beat with. We are, so, we are free from it. Listen, this is Romans ten eleven. Please know this. 10, 11. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. So if you're carrying shame... Come to Christ. You say, Well, I have come to Christ. Well, believe what you say you believe, and you will not have shame because you'll know the penalty has been paid. What you were, you are no longer. You are a new creation in Christ. Remember this, never forget it. Jesus sets us free not by telling us our sin is okay to make the best of our bondage. No, Jesus sets us free by forgiving us of our sin and giving us freedom to pursue holiness. And the way He does it is as in the day of Midian. Are you familiar with that story in Judges chapter 7? I'll put it on the screen for you real quick. What is the day of Midian? The day of Midian is the time of Israel's deliverance from the Midianites by Gideon. This is found in Judges 7, 19 through 25, where Gideon achieves an improbable victory over Midian by the power of God. And the story of Gideon matches the story of Jesus. Let me show you how. So the story of Gideon begins by God calling Gideon the least of all of the least of the tribes to go and take out these Midians, these hordes who are oppressing God's people. So Gideon gets an army of 32,000 and God says, oh, that's way too many. Mm -mm. Y'all will get the glory. So he takes an army from 32,000 down to 300. You know what God does? God works through the weak things, through the things that the world says are ridiculous he worked through a baby who was born in Bethlehem and placed in a manger. He used the weakest. Jesus wasn't born in a castle in a crib made of gold. He was born of a virgin in poverty because that's how God works, as in the day of Midian. And on that day, in that day of Midian, God used men as they were acting in faith. These guys show up to this massive Midianite army and, and, and the, the warfare, I encourage you to go and read it. It makes no human sense but what they do is they have faith in god they don't have faith in themselves they're not showing up saying man look how strong we are look how great our armor is look how we're going to take these folks out there's no pride in that they're like if god doesn't show up we're dead Our, our only hope is the lord god they lived and were saved by faith and so it is for us today We're not saved because we're strong and smart or better than other people. We're saved because we trust in Christ alone. And on that day, you know how the victory was won? It was was won by the the enemy actually attacking themselves. You know how our victory was won? In the craziest way. (laughs) Through our enemy acting and causing its own defeat. Do you know what the cross is? The cross is the enemy acting on our behalf to crush itself. The day that they put Jesus to death, they thought they were putting an end to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. They were not, they did not understand. They were putting to death the Holy One who had come to die in our place. And so when they put him to death, they destroyed themselves. They destroyed their power. They destroyed everything they had hanging over us because our sin was forgiven and our life was made new. And now there's no shame. There is joy and peace in Jesus Christ. Who says amen to the day of Midian? It is a good day. And so that's why Jesus said, and he read in that text in Luke 4:18, he came to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Isn't that beautiful? He came to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Finally, and before I share you this, well, though we're gonna put it, this word was very hard to come up with. It was a difficult challenge for our preaching team, but this is the this is the phrase is what we what we, we came down to to try to to express this. Jesus is the mighty God who gives victory to the war torn. To the war torn, we were. We looked. At, we looked at so many words in g- Greek and Hebrew and Latin and everything else to try to come. Kind of, you, you know, you look at it, and I know you're not. You don't seem very impressed with what we came up with. But I'm going to tell you, it was. It came. It was sweat and blood and few arguments. I'm going to tell you that right now. We care about this stuff. War torn. Why, why that? Why that phrase? Because we're war out. We're war torn. Every single one of us has scars. Every one of us has had a moment or two or three or a dozen or a thousand when we were ready to quit. We're war torn. I mean, I just think about this week when I was preparing, I was getting emails and texts. I got a text from a friend who said, pray for me. We're about to take my dad off of life support. I got, a, I got a another text from a couple that said, "We don't think we're going to make it. We we don't sal- see how God could salvage this this marriage. Just worn out. A precious wife who emailed to say that she was taking her husband to the hospital. Please pray. As a f- person, um, it's just dealing with just the overwhelming." Feelings of failure and doubt, a good man, a godly man, a man that that you would probably look at and esteem as I do. But looking at the current situation feels like a complete failure because of an expectation that someone else set for him, despite all the good for the glory of God that he's done. Friends, we are war torn. No sooner that something good happens that we find ourselves falling again. We are worn out. This battle, we shouldn't be surprised by it. I mean, after all, what what, what are we told to do in Ephesians chapter 6? This is Ephesians 6, 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. I think that tells us a little about, about something about the life that we should anticipate, that we would need the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, oh, I love this phrase, to stand firm. Friends, there will be a day when this battle will be over. There will be a day when the Lord Jesus Christ will return and there will be no more war there will be no more pain. We will be able to sing with the angels what was sung on the first coming of Christ. This is Luke two fourteen. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, I want you to notice the exclusivity of this. Notice who it is that has peace. It's with those with whom the Lord is pleased. Who pleases God? This is Hebrews chapter 11, verse six. And without faith it is impossible to please God. Faith alone pleases God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And this reward is sweet. Go back and read Revelation 21, 22. This reward is unworldly. It is beyond anything we could hope or imagine. And in that day, look at verse 5. Look at this, this, this caption. Verse 5 is summation of Revelation 21 and 22, okay? All in one verse, verse 5 of Isaiah 9. For every boot and the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. There will be no more war, no more death, no more tears, no more pain. We won't even learn how to fight anymore. This is Micah chapter four, verse three. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. No more war. No more war-torn feelings. But today we, we have them. But the restoration is coming. And so we sing... Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Christ has come, he's coming again. And in between there will be tribulation, but there's joy And there's freedom and there's life. And it's only in Christ, our hero, our warrior king, our mighty God. If you're not trusting in him, trust him today. There's going to be leaders here at the front. Come talk with them. If you're struggling with shame, please come and talk with these leaders. You need to come out from underneath that. If you're struggling with a habitual sin, come and talk with these leaders. Let them pray with you. Walk out of here in the victory of our mighty God let's stand together as we pray. Father, you are so gracious and kind. And Lord Jesus, you are the warrior king. There is none like you. You are mighty God. You are Gabor. You're the hero of the story. And you have come. And now because of your victory over sin and death, we can have life and a living hope that will not tarnish or fade. And we praise you for that today. I know there are some who are here today who are not trusting in you. And I pray today they would. I pray for those who are anxious and angry and wore out. I pray today they'd find renewed strength in the power of the gospel and the goodness of your love. God, help those who come and pray. Help those who seek help today. You're a good God, so we praise your name. In Jesus' name, amen.